We did it. Didn't we do it? It was like you're a magician there. I'm like a magician. I'm like unto a magician. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Faux Pop Film School podcast slash video. Wow. That's a hefty title. We have a lot of different words that we can use at any given time, but we tend to use the ones that go like Faux Pop Film School uh, podcast slash video. I think you need a jingle. Wouldn't that be a good idea? This, uh, yeah, we do. If we only knew some people who wrote oh, and performed oh. music. <clears throat> hey, everybody. We're also live on Facebook right now. Um, and it's the first time that we've had this live to Facebook. Oh. And so it, anything's possible. In, and when I say that, I mean, maybe no one's out there. But that's fine. We're there. We're here. But technically, you'd get paid extra, wouldn't you? <laughs> Technically, I would receive more compensation than the hefty fee that I get, my appearance fee. I'm Randall Lobb. And this is not Mark Hussey, and it's not Isaac Elliott Fisher. You are my second guest. Normally, I would do this with Mark. Tom Tenesco. Tom... Before we go into uh, the rich tapestry of how we are filmmaking pals, just tell us a little bit about what you're doing these days. Just introduce yourself. Who is Tom Tenesco? Um, that's a good question. Who? I'm good at this. Who am I? That's right. Uh, I, I guess the, the short answer would be um, I, I definitely know I'm a writer. That I can... I can definitely say you were, I was doing that. You today. were writing today. I was writing today. So that's one thing we know yeah. about you. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I guess a director because I have directed in the past. Um, Two things. Yep. Uh, I've done visual effects for TV shows for a good number of days. What? What are we looking at? What? What did he just tell us? We, we're because we're going live. We have a lot of things are happening here. Oh. Um, he's just given us a signal. What's the signal? Oh, Daniele, we have a uh, Daniele Bolelli. You're out there. I see you out there. He looks good today. Look at he him. Is, wow. Jeez. He looks really good. He's fit. These are good cameras. He's fit. He's fit. <clears throat> uh, so you do visual effects, but you don't like to do visual effects, isn't that? Well, yeah. I, we're going to get into it. We're going to tell the truth. truth. It's tonight. True. We yeah, tell absolutely. the truth. Absolutely. You know, it's it's just something. Long story short, you know, you do, you do things that you need to do. Uh, especially in the industry, uh, and if you if you if it comes easy to you, and I'm not saying it's easy by any means. I'm just saying if you enjoy it enough that it doesn't seem like work, <clears throat> and people are willing to pay you for that, then you do it. I mean, it, it helps keep the the other part of the wow. of the of the equation um, active. Like the, the you know, I, I want to be a writer director. I want right. to I want to um, pursue that passion of mine and the way that you do that, the way that you subsidize yourself through that is to do things that you don't mind doing. So some people would say you should do your computer 
and visual effects work because you've had some real success. Can you say some of the shows you've worked on? Are you allowed to talk about some sure. of them? Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. So please let people know. This isn't just some guy that we dragged in off the street. You've got some, you've got some as we say in the industry, some creds. Isn't that what we say in the industry? Well, I, yeah, sure. Creds. You can say that. You can say that. Yeah. Nobody says that, do Nobody they? says that Nobody at all. Nobody says that. No, no. Uh, I've, I've worked on um, The Outer Limits. I've worked on uh, Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eureka. Uh, Alphas. Um, uh, Star Trek Discovery. Um, and you can't say. I can't say. The, That's too bad. Because the one you can't say is exciting. So Tom has worked in TV for years. Uh, you want you want to be a writer director specifically. That's what you that's right. are driven yeah. to do. Yeah. And why do we know each other? That's what really goes back into the, the the dark ages. Well, I know how we know each other. The why? There is a why. The why has yet really to reveal itself. I think. <laughs> because I think I think you know it's we're coming. Uh, Mark and I were talking about this earlier. We're we're in the nascent stages of something that is going to. Blossom that is going to become something fantastic, I think. I think it's incumbent upon us to say that we've known each other, Tom and I, since 1984. And if we are just now, in 2017, in the nascent stages, we have been in a very long gestation. I, you know, I don't think that's a, yeah. I don't think that that's necessarily untrue. No, it is. Seriously true. Wait a minute. Well, we're telling you right now, Kelly. Uh, Just so people know, because we're live to Facebook, this is going to be potentially one of the more uh, aggressively uh, annoying (laughs) podcasts or videos if we react to it. Well, maybe we'll get Mark to respond to people who say things and make comments. He'll chip in there. So if you have a question, please, uh, and you're on Facebook Live, Write it in, Mark Hussey will either answer it or relay uh, I, it to us. I fully us. endorse you, Mark, as my voice, so have at it. So Tom and I went in 1984 from our consecutive homes, respective homes. They weren't consecutive, in fact. No, no. I came from a small town, Clinton, Ontario. I came from a, a bustling, uh, <laughs> auto-driven town or city, yeah. uh, Oshawa. But it does bustle. It did bustle then. It, it bustled. <laughs> Much of its bustle has been hustled. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and no, it's, it's a, no, it's a great place. I, Oshawa is a fantastic place to live. You're saying that like this is a hostage video. <laughs> Oshawa is a great place to live. They treated us very well here. <laughs> Please don't behead me. Yeah. Uh, you <laughs> came from Oshawa. I came from Clinton. I think we sort of poked into each other's little worlds, universes, very quickly at film school. Sure. Potentially the yeah. first class, first day. Well, even pr- prior to that, actually. I'm listening now. No, I, I, I recall um, we were there uh, together in this, at, the, at the office signing up for the oh, class. The interview I, I, I remember that specifically, be looking across and seeing this guy in, uh, in camo pants. That's true. In camel pants. That's and I true. I was thinking, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, that's the competition. I remember yeah. that day. That struck me. I do remember that day. Yep. 
I remember thinking, this guy's significantly larger than me. I don't have a chance. So why did you go to film school? I think we both have something in common. Uh, we're kids with cameras as early yep. as possible. Yep. How can we make movies, right? Yep. And how can we tell stories and how can we get on stages and how can we... Or were you ever in plays? Was that your thing? No. That no. was not your thing. No, you're purely cinematic. Uh, it, it, we had the we had the I had the opportunity in school, but uh, I was already uh, making my own Super Eight movies, and uh, and so I had my my acting mm -hmm. uh, venue already already settled, and you know I could do whatever I wanted. So that was really that really fulfilled that that aspect of it. I mean, of course, that's the that's the um, sort of the independent freelance uh, mentality too is that you're doing everything so um, you know how 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 much better is that how how much shorter is that communication gap between a, a writer a director and the uh, the actor to get that information yeah. across you know so so you know doing all that stuff so yeah so yeah I I, I had a family camera when I was I basically grabbed onto it when I was maybe 12 or 13. This was right after seeing Star Wars. Star Wars. It's a common thread for so many people our age. Right yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, in the process of being a, a, a what, what at that point was a super fan of this, of this movie, uh, you know, I, I absorbed everything that I possibly could uh, from magazines, from television, from. Because you know you couldn't get a copy of it. You couldn't. There mm -hmm. were no. You couldn't even get a VHS tape of of the movie. So anything that you could you could glean from like a Teen Beat magazine, for God's sake, you know, the, yeah. that, that would be something that you would uh, that you would grab onto. And so, so I'm going to jump in. Yeah. Why science fiction? Why was that resonant for you? It because was, all the shows you mentioned that you worked on are science fiction. It's true. It's true. It just uh, I think what happened was. As I was reading up on all this stuff, a lot of what was being published about Star Wars was uh, was all the special effects, what they mm -hmm. called special effects back then, what we now call visual effects. Um, so you know, all, that was a huge because it was a, a game changer and it, it 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 made Star Wars possible. I gravitated toward all of that all of that information. So visual effects kind of became my in mm -hmm. to to expanding my my appreciation of of the franchise or at the at the time just the film so i immediately kind of became this this uh student of visual effects and that's i just you know i sucked that in i i started i started doing like all my my super 8 films were visual effects oriented yeah. i did a superman one where i was flying and i you know i had laser vision and we had a camera that would backwind four seconds so you could actually do lasers coming out of your eyes. I mean, we did, of course, we did spaceship stuff. We did aliens. We did, uh, we did anything and everything that we felt we could possibly sort out on a Super 8 camera. You know, what's interesting about, you know, you sitting in that room for the interview, did you write about Star Wars for your entrance? So for people oh that God. back in the old days, when you wanted to get into film school, it was very difficult to have a reel or a portfolio. Um, and this is so, nobody cares about this old stuff. There's probably some really, really, really old lady somewhere who's like, 
Well, that's interesting. If only I had a computer so I could watch this on, what's it called, Face? What? So, I don't know why I said a lady either. Flattering us, maybe? Maybe there's a really old lady that says, look at those fellas, their hair's still dark. <laughs> um, this is not dyed. This is Natch. Sweet Natch. Uh, I the, borrowed this from a neighbor. That's so nice of him. Or her. It, it's, it's a... Uh, a <laughs> it's a dynamic process to get into film school now. Back then, it was more or less you wrote an essay. If you could cabbage together some art, you're an artist, so you could do some beautiful designs and stuff. In my case, I wasn't an artist. Like, it was just a really much more applying to university thing, I think. But they granted an interview. And that was a huge difference for, for me. Probably you were a good student and had good marks. Well, the difference for me was I had like, I submitted like 20 films. I had, I had Super 8 films that, you know, uh, I did a, 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 the first Star Wars fan film. Believe it or not, this was, it's actually, you, actually back in 1985, I did uh, what I called the Unsung Heroes of the Empire Strikes Back. And so I had models, I had uh, little explosions. A, a buddy of mine, uh, Bill Calder, uh, he and I worked tirelessly at this, creating all sorts of miniatures. We did uh, animation, we did uh, all sorts of stuff. And, and I mean, this thing, you know, I think it was maybe three minutes long, but it was pretty epic. I mean, it, anyway, the yeah. bottom line is like, we had done those types of films prior to going to, to, to university. So I submitted yeah. those and uh, I guess not many people did. No, you were at a completely different scale. So, and as an example, uh, someone like me, I wrote an essay about Apocalypse Now and went deep into Milius and right. I went into what would be more scholarly approach to Apocalypse Now, which is probably boring. Uh, I put in movies that I made as a really small kid. I mean, like 11 right. and, and 10 and, and grade five. And uh, I put in some kind of experimental stuff that I had done with time lapses and that. And then here's where it gets ridiculous plays that I had written. So it was all about writing comedy and writing skits and, and that sort of thing. Right. And I knew they weren't going to accept me unless I got an interview. I thought if I get an interview, they'll take me. That was that day right. that we saw right. each other. Right. And, and I know that you were the guy that had the reel that people were talking about. Like, yeah. How did you know that? First day of school. That first day, you were the guy that had all the stuff. Oh, okay. Either that we were sitting, do you remember we were sitting in a hallway like we were auditioning for a movie? Like there were a few chairs there and we were sort of sitting. I don't remember you that. You don't remember that. So we're sitting in these chairs. This is at the interview day. Right. Anyway, and we were just chatting. And I might have even talked to you that day, but I talked to three or four people just kind of, so what are you doing? What are you doing? Right, what, are you doing? Right. what are you in for? <laughs> kind of like, but uh, your material was head and shoulders above. And what I was fascinated by was you obviously had a talent that I would never have imagined, and that's the, the ability to draw, the ability to think of special effects as achievable. Mm -hmm. For me, all that stuff was, I didn't, I, like they did that in New right. York or something, right. and I didn't even right. know what that meant. Gotcha. And I knew about Cine Fantastique, and I, you know what I mean? I read all the, probably the same stuff you did, but I would say you read it, absorbed it, I read it, and it was cursory. Right. I think right. I was much more surface than you, which is almost certainly the case just day to day as well. But here we are in film school, and I think we learned something very quickly is 
you sink on your own and you band together to win in a way. I think that's, it, I don't remember any distance between coming into that class for the first time and finding a group. Right, right, yeah. And that's something that people who, in these times, when you can grab your camera and do everything yourself, or you think you can, you can get yourself into a mess by applying what would be conceived as the auteur theory to right, sure. proscriptively, right? Well, that was that was one of the uh, one of the things I think was such a strong thing about about going to school. Like I, I, you know, these days I wonder if it was necessary. But in in the sense that that uh, uh, well, well, that's the point. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, we didn't go there to develop our skills. We went there to create a network. Yeah, and and as far as I'm concerned, the you know the 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 relationships that we that we forged then are are you know were instrumental in getting you know at least at least the sense that we could do things together. I mean, you know, film is a collaborative art in the first place. So if you can't collaborate, uh, if you can't collaborate in film school, it's Pretty, it's pretty certain you won't be able to do it out in the real world. I think there are people right now who, who want to make films who don't know how to collaborate properly and are suffering sure. because sure. of that. And they may be super talented or whatever, but that aspect is so underplayed. I mean, you look at what's happening in The Reckoning, everybody's calling it, the Harvey Weinstein, the right, Kevin Spacey, right. and on and on. That reckoning, to me, is about not collaborating properly, not looking at other people respectfully. If you are a man in the industry and you don't look at a woman in the industry as being your equal. Sure, sure. Or the actor as being your equal to some degree. And I say to some degree not because I think actors aren't the equal of filmmakers. Their skill set is different. I mean, right, you wouldn't right. want an actor to say, you know what you should do with that light. Anyway, the point of this would be, I think we probably recognize, not necessarily you and I, but oh, I need what he has or I need what she has, and if I don't get it, I can't do what I do. Sure, sure. And that was something... Well, that, that is the essence of filmmaking, yeah. though. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are just... There are so many aspects of it that cannot be handled by one person, and, and I, don't, I don't care who you are. I mean, you know, you get, you get anomalies like, um, like, say, Gareth Edwards when... when um, I don't know if you saw Monsters... The original. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this guy was the writer, director, uh, cinematographer, editor, visual effects guy, uh, boom operator, mic microphone, the sound recordist mm -hmm. on the set. And he had two actors, and they went through, I, I think it was Mexico, I'm not sure. I think so. But it was, uh, you know, that's, that's, it is an anomaly, a total anomaly. But, but you know, it's, it's a collaborative art form. So if you, you know, you have to be able to, recognize that and you know i don't know if it's i don't know if it's just indicative of of um, you know you see you see that story all the time the overnight success it's one of those it's one of those it's not necessarily a myth but it's a misnomer in the sense that um that you know youtube and and social media loves loves the 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 little guy doing everything story so so for someone to come out of their backyard having created a feature film that makes the news whatever uh i don't think it's i mean it's not it's certainly not sustainable and um it's it's not really healthy either so he's saying that from a position of understanding yeah i mean <laughs> do you want to talk about that yeah, well yeah i guess we could okay well we'll get around to it but that's it's 
You were the it's you, different. but you were. Um, when we got to fourth year and we had a fourth year project, your fourth year project was you. One of them, yeah. The yeah. animated piece. Yeah. That was the kind of the social commentary on our our year and our profs and quick little joke. Yeah. And then the Daniel, Merry Christmas. That was you, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So. Tom is able to do animation in that four-year program that we were in, and I don't know if anyone else did it. I don't remember anyone doing that. I don't think so. I don't well, think it was the thought. Well, Clark, Clark Hoskin and oh, I right. did the um, Clark worked the, with you on that. What was it the the, the teacher thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and that all stemmed from going through Lee's equipment room yeah. and finding an animation stand, and because I. You know, among the among the other things you learn about in visual effects is, of course, there's an animation component. So, uh, so finding this uh, mechanical device, which is um, uh, now I'm going to forget the name of it, but it's it's an animation table essentially that you can put animation special animation paper onto. It's got a glass surface where the light shines up from below. Finding this and then asking about it and then. Uh, it, what I what I asked was, is anybody else using this? And, and Lee just said, nobody's using that. No so. one even told us about it or <laughs> exposed us to any of that. Yeah. It, you're only, I mean, you can't knock the profs. No. Here's an example know. of something that happened to us at film school. Adam McGoyan came in and talked to us with his, I think it was his first film, Family Viewing. Yes. And yes, it was yeah. early in that production. Yeah. And we were actually dismissive. I think we didn't get it, and you know, nor did we have to. Right. But I bring right. that up to say, you know, the prof that comes in, the speaker that comes in, whatever they give you, it's what they like, it's what they're into, and it's hard sometimes to find the hook. Sure. So if we have profs that aren't into animation, we don't do animation. If we have profs that love video, second year, it's all about <laughs> video, right? So in those days, film school, I think, was a real survey course yeah and they yeah, probably should sure. have exposed us to more yeah. like you maybe would have flourished in animation well i i think i think you're i i think you're exactly right about that isn't in that uh, you know uh, let's face it it was the it was the only school uh, as far as i know in canada that was offering a degree in film i think in at film the time. production uh screenwriting and film production so so I'm sure it, it may have been a case that they were just real happy that they had profs at all. Yeah, we had Czech profs. They're from, yeah. at the time, it was yeah. called Czechoslovakia, and they were very much into film art. And they were a little bit dismissive, as we were dismissive of Adam McGoyan. Foolishly, I might add, he invited us to come and work. Please come on down and volunteer on the set. And I think we probably actually leaned back and went, <laughs> I don't think so, like idiots. But I think they were dismissive, particularly of the stuff that I liked, I would say, for example, because I like stupid things or pop or whatever. Right, right. And I think they, you think of a guy that we worked with, uh, a young filmmaker named Dale Hildebrand, and he was yep. very artistic, yep. and I think his aesthetic was very much interesting to them, and he approached it like an artist, and you know that wasn't necessarily the way that I approached right. this right. anything, let alone filmmaking. Anyway, I think you're subject to a lot of elements of taste that are maybe not in, you know, if you took a different course. Sure. If we were taking sure. nursing, 
I don't think taste comes into play per se. Right. Anyway. Well, that's a standardized. It's a standardized field with with film. You know, there's so many different subgenres, or there's so many genres and subgenres. Uh, you know, I, I dare say that that you know you'd you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find uh, a commonality or at least a common thread. I mean, if you're if you're talking just from a straight film production standpoint, then that's the nitty gritty. That's the nuts and bolts of it. Mm -hmm. But you know. Uh, I remember um, uh, Vashik Daborsky. Yeah, third year. The the one thing I came away from with that with that from his I can probably say it with you. You probably can. Shots of people eating eat, their lunch eat, and drinking beer with their more friends. More beer, more beer, more beer, more <laughs> beer. So I did a documentary on a comic artist, Ken Stacy. Yeah, and I don't remember what what was your documentary on. Uh, Nelvana. Nelvana Animation. How crazy is that? Yeah. So what he said to almost everyone, his, his feedback when we were showing early rough assemblies was that. Right. You need yeah. to humanize these, these people and you need to show shots of them eating their lunch and drinking beer with their friends. And when I said that to Ken Stacy, he said, well, how about you sit with me? So I sat beside him and it did not go over well. <laughs> it's not the way to go. And... Ken thought it was funny, and I thought it was funny, and it was not funny, mm. it turns out. And by the way, that's something else I'll point out about being a filmmaker, that not to complain or whine, but let's say that you like comedy, and I like science fiction. My science fiction, my latitude for what is science fiction, can be decided sort of by applications of genre. But with comedy, it's taste again. So Absolutely. it's even yeah. more personal. Yeah. We can all agree that Blade Runner 2049 is science fiction. And it has all the right elements. So even if you do not like that film, you can say, yeah, yeah, it has that. But if you and I go and see Daddy, what's the da uh, Daddy's Home 2? There's a significant chance that if you think it's funny and I don't, we can't come to an agreement right. that sure. it's a comedy. Like, it's defined by the taste. So. You run into, uh, being a, a young filmmaker going to film school, you run into this brick wall. And, and it was particularly, I would not try to cry foul or say I'm a victim. It was harder for me maybe than some other people because the things I like uh, are stupid. I'm not particularly technically I skilled. I say they were stupid. I, I think you, you, you tended toward absurdist humor. And I, and I uh, you know, and it was really, it was very obvious and very strong. So in that sense, that should have been recognized to me, like, because y you were very specific. You knew exactly what you liked, and I think that's a strength. I think that's, that's exactly what the film program should have helped you with, at least acknowledged. I think you could say that about Jeffrey Dahmer, though. He knew exactly what he liked, <laughs> and he went out, like, I don't think that was helping me. How did you, no, sorry. I'm not like Jeffrey Dahmer, <laughs> and you can't prove anything. Uh, wow. Let's, let's break it down, though. I mean, if you try to make something where the taste is not... Okay, I did a documentary on the history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. People who do not care about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles can still find human interest stories, right? If I do a documentary on... Here's a, a U2 mug. If we did a documentary on U2, you and I work together, and you don't really like U2, you could still make a compelling documentary because sure. human elements. As long as they're eating and drinking beer with, with their friends. With their friends. Yes. More beer. More beer. So uh, he literally said that. 
And he would shout it. He sits yeah. down. Anyway, this is not yeah. a good memory Whatever. to have. <laughs> the point I'm getting at is you can find a way to craft something that is a documentary, that has human interest, that has all these elements that attach to an audience, and they would say, oh, I like that story about the turtles because of these characters. Right. Right. I think in a comedy, or in the kind of comedy that I liked, which was subversive, influenced by Monty Python, and influenced by satire and parody, and also on its face, you're making fun of the very thing you're studying at school. Right, right. That's just offensive in a way, and it's not a good calculation as a student. I mean, I literally worked with him in cinematography on the same project, and my mark, do you remember what it was? Was zero. The same prof, we worked on the same project, he gave me zero. No mark. I don't know how you achieved that. that... And I had to appeal it. Wow. And you, what did you have in that class? I don't remember. Yeah, yes, you do. I don't. I don't Significantly have... more than zero. I don't know. I was 70. So I don't know. So anyway, this idea that taste is so critical or that taste becomes a factor uh, maybe is why we're still friends, why we still enjoy sure, each other's company. Sure. There must be some overlap. I, I would say that I would say the, the, the fact that... Uh, well, we, we, you know, we share certain commonalities outside of film as well. So, I mean, bipedal, <laughs> bilaterally like symmetrical. Food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, I like food. You like food. <laughs> you have the ability to melt fudge, just with the power of your mind. Somewhere, someone's fudge has melted. Yikes! Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was mine right now. Tell me this. Why don't you like doing visual effects? Now that we've established our, our propers, is that what it's called? Our propers? Uh, sure. There's a word for it. The imprimatur. You want to be a writer-director. In school, you were on the writer-director path, but you yep. were so good at animation, and as soon as there were computers, you were able to incorporate them into the work in a way that even then it was surprising. Remember? Remember you working on that Merry Christmas, Daniel... You had computer stuff in that, did you not? Oh yeah. Oh sure. If you if you can say, well, yeah. Oh yeah. Was, uh, we had we had a render farm that uh, we we. Nineteen eighty-seven eight. It was it was a it was a Commodore sixty-four screen that I think I just uh, uh, I think it was a game that had some graphics in it, and yeah. I just shot the you know I I I put the camera in close enough so that I I basically cropped out the name of the game. It was very. It, 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 the story is about a robot that chases a kid, and it's got Duracell batteries in it. And, and but anyway, it's a, it's a killing machine. So it had it had um, it had and an HUD. Uh, it was a heads-up display. It, well, yes, yes, but you know, it, it was internal. It wasn't like it was overlapping no, anything. But sorry, anyway, yes. So so it was just basically you know shooting at the screen of a Commodore sixty four. So. I, I don't 19, know if that's high tech. In 87, 88, that was high tech. <laughs> Look, and then you go... And Technically, then you, it was theft, but... You yeah, can, sure. Else, well, you stole some of the best animation out there. No, you go on to come out of school, work at Rogers. Let's fast forward to you being in the industry, and you're working in effects again, and you're yep. combining art and tech. I just don't know why you don't like that. We've had this argument, eh, discussion many times. Why wouldn't you want to... Do the thing that you can do that, and I, by the way, I do know the answer, but maybe other people don't. Why it's, wouldn't you be satisfied? Uh, it's, it's recognizing the vast chasm 
of, uh, of, of training and education and, uh, and passion, really, um, uh, that is required to take you beyond just the generalist state, which, yeah. which is where I'm at, um, and, you know, to, to, to go to that next level. Um, and I just, I, I, it was always, it was always a, a means to an end for me. But do you not like doing, if, tell people what it is that you're doing. Like explain exactly what you would have been called to do on those shows you worked on. Uh, I will, this is what, this is what I'm, what I'm saying. As I'm a generalist, which means. Bragger. Uh, no, 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 not at all. It's, it's, I, I'm not specific. Uh, I'm not specifically a CG modeler. I'm not specifically a texture artist. I'm not specifically Yeah, but that's an good. Because remember the girl that did all the mouse hair at Core Digital Pictures for uh, uh, Dr. Doolittle, uh, Dr. Doolittle or Nutty Professor? She, she was, she was, I think, in the credits, rat hair girl. That's what they called her in 92 right. or 3. You don't want to do that. That's no. assembly line chugging through. Why wouldn't being well, a generalist be satisfying? Well, I think because, because people, people, you know, sure can develop their talents in a very specific area. If you're passionate about that, you know, I'm sure rat hair girl was very passionate about doing that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can get that position without having a certain amount of of love for what you're doing. And for me, visual effects was always kind of uh, a means to an end. You worked on Star Trek, yeah, but not not as an artist. I was uh, I, I had a different. I was more of a. I feel like. Go ahead, say what you're saying. It was. It, I was. Um, I can't remember the title now. It was. Uh, it was a consulting producer. Consulting wasn't it? producer. Yeah. How so, come I know that? That's a good question. But I feel like if I say to you, if I say to, listen, hey, filmmakers out there are possible filmmakers out in the world. If I say to you, you worked on Star Trek, that, that would be one of the top five or six things you could say to someone, potentially, on some level. That is one of the primo number one genre franchises, period. True, True. yeah. And you got yeah. to work on it. I okay. yeah. In a, in a specificity of field that you're not that keen on doing. Yeah, that's the that's the. I, I don't know if that's indicative of, of the business, but but certainly there are outliers in the business who are doing the who who are doing jobs that they never saw, or, or trained for, in their yeah, in their course. lives, and and they're getting paid really well to do it. I, I'm not saying that's necessarily my case, but I have been extremely fortunate, in the business. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know I and I. I, I I can't I can't I can't equate it to anything specific. I, I, the closest thing that I can say is luck, but I think you make your own luck. So wait, I I, wait. Don't, I don't know I can't. You I'm know. just not making my own luck. Then well well th this is the thing like I and I'm not saying this to brag at all. What I'm saying is when <laughs> not at all not at all seriously. Uh, look, I'm not a racist, but no, 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 no. What I'm saying is like uh, my the the when I worked on Eureka, the pilot episode, we were nominated for an Emmy. I know, and that was to me it was surprising, um, because you just and good. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. you know, we got to do the whole red carpet deal and and. Um, on the night where they don't have the stars. Yeah, it's but the hey, technical awards. Watching. They are actually, yeah. they are head in a factory 
somewhere in uh, Torrance, California. You get whatever kind of pop that you want. It's fantastic. What kind did you have? I had Sprite. That is really exciting. You know I don't drink pop. Neither do I. I have no idea what... I didn't want it. I didn't want Wait it. But I got it anyway. Did we just become great. best friends? I don't know what Sprite tastes like. How about that? What do you suppose it tastes like? Oh, I know what it tastes like. What does it taste I like? I used to drink pop. Is it lemon lime? No. no. It's, it's kind of like, it's kinda like um, the, the bastard son of ginger ale. What? Yeah. So it's ginger flavored. It's Well, I don't know what ginger... Have you ever had like, a ginger root? Of course I have. You have? Of course. Wow. I was, in never... an, I was in an Indian restaurant. Would you be thinking... Oh, pop. No, I, I, this is actually, this may be the most interesting thing that someone gets out of this today. I was in an I Indian restaurant, and I have, as you may know, a tendency to cough. When I cough, I cough really hard when I have a problem, like a lung infection. I guess I had pneumonia when I was young enough, and you get a coffee Muscle lung. Memory. Is it called a coffee lung? I don't I think know. it's called coffee lung. I don't drink So coffee. I was coughing really hard. And I think the other people in the restaurant were thinking, gee, if only he would die and we wouldn't have to hear this. And those are the people at my table. That includes my wife. So she loves me very much. But at the time, I had gone to this Indian restaurant, Jula Vindi in London, Ontario, recommended highly. And I have gone there many times. And I had gone there many times. And the waiter knew who I was. And he saw me struggling to live, and he came over with a knob of ginger, ah. a fairly hefty one. And I'd eaten ginger and lots of foods and pickled ginger with sushi, blah, blah, blah. And he said, just eat that. And I said, just eat this knob of ginger. And he said, yeah, yeah, go ahead and eat. So I started chewing. Was it, was it more like, <laughs> yeah. But he was going like this. Just <laughs> So I took the ginger and I ate the ginger, Tom. Now that was like Sprite. That's what we've learned. And it cleared your cough. No, <laughs> but it, it, it worked to some extent. But we do have other things in common. We don't drink. That's right. Nope. We, we don't drink alcohol. Nope. We, did, we didn't drink coffee for many years, although I started. Now, aren't you allergic to, to alcohol? It, it makes me, on it, yeah, I, well, or something. Right. It makes my eyes, you know, get all sore and itchy. Huh. Maybe it's just that it just makes me feel sick for some other reason. So, so there's this... A, a real physiological reason why you don't drink. Yeah, it's, it sucks. It turns out it tastes terrible, and a lot of people don't know this. This is going to come as a shock to some of you. It turns out alcohol does not taste good. We interrupt this program for a news flash. Alcohol and this just tastes in. terrible. The president drinks alcohol. The, uh, uh, the flavor of alcohol isn't good. So the first time, remember when you're young and your dad goes, <laughs> have a beer, and you taste beer? Yeah. And I'll go, hey, that sucks. I'm done. I'm not going to drink it again. And I, it doesn't smell good and whatever. So it's the same as if someone said, well, why don't you stick with it and be like, keep at it. You've kept at the film industry and you finally are doing some stuff there. So I haven't kept at that. You know, you keep hitting yourself in the head with a hammer. Eventually it won't hurt so much. It's true. So yeah. just stick with it, kids. You might enjoy it. Keep on hitting. <laughs> That's kind of my thing. So we have that in common, but we also have in common that we want to write and we want to direct. Yep. I happen to be in documentary right now, and you have said to me before, do you actually want to make documentaries? I have said that. Yeah, you've actually said that. Not that I didn't, that. Not, 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 that it, not in a, in a derisive way. I think it was derisive. No, I don't think so. At least I don't think it so. It was derisish. <laughs> Derisy, a little derisy. See, see, you at your core have this 
innate ability. You, you have a love or a hatred for words. I don't know. Oh, they're the worst. You, you have this way of, of, uh, of turning a phrase or you know, yeah. your spoonerisms. Like you, you are a writer at your core. You are. But listen, I have tried for years to communicate through smell, and I just don't get the consensual, like a consensuous, I, I, consensus and sensuousness that I want. See the consensuousness see that I want. <laughs> I want more people to appreciate my language of scent, and they oh, don't. Oh, so oh, I every have, time you do communicate with smell, I <laughs> you get message received. I get the message. Holy. I, tr- I love words, but it's that, that I think when I was a kid, I would, I would hear all the variations of the words. I don't know why I have this, but when someone would say level, I'd go level, level. And they'd go dog, I'd go God. And I would see the word road, and I would say rub out all dogs. That's you, Stephen Rorda, if you're out there. Like, words would just be always flipping around. And I think maybe that means I have a problem. And then I was able to win over the problem, and now the kind of the fluidity of all of that made me like that. I don't know if that's a problem, though. I think it <laughs> may be my it, wife. It, <laughs> it may be it may be uh, uh, deemed a problem by mm-hmm, those who don't mm-hmm. think the same way, but uh, I think there's innate creativity at work. I think that's I think that's where you know you, you write you write a lot. So it I think, sounded like you were saying, like, you write. Like, I am correct. <laughs> like you write. Troglodyte. Yeah. Well, you, you write. write me wrong. It's, Tom, it's welcome to the Crow Magnon cast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, we have to provide the people with some kind of entertainment yeah, value that's based on background. film school. I know, there's yeah. a lot of back. We have to get to the front ground. Yeah. That's what the people want. When you are doing... We can say that you're doing sort of design stuff now, right? Yep. We can't say the sure. show. Yep. Can you talk about what that means? What, what are you doing? Like, so you get a contract to work on a... Can you kind of take me through some of that? How this sure. works for a generalist? Uh, in terms... Well, this is a very... This is, this is weird because it's, because it's not generalist. It's not a generalist position. It's, Dang, bro! It's, it's a very specific. You led position. me on so hard. Well, that's the general the, the the general nature of my generalist career, is is that. But sometimes you get gigs that are very specific, and this this one is very specific to a very specific portion of of the process, which is uh, conceptualizing and uh, and uh, the initial process. Ralph McQuarrie. Uh, he does conceptual art. What what my what my deal is uh, coming up with this uh, this show, which I won't name. Like you literally can't name that show, right? No, no. Uh, why do they do that? Why? Yeah, I sound. Why do they do that? <laughs> why do they? Why do? Like we have some things going too, and we can't talk about it. I'm doing Martin Short doing Jiminy Glick. Wow, that's Jiminy what it's called. Glick, why do they? Is. Why do they do that? Why can't you say what you're working on? Why are you such a jerk? I don't know. <laughs> why can't we say, Mark and I can't say, and Isaac, no, sorry, Isaac. Why can't we say what's, what's brewing? Like, if you were able to say to people, this is what's brewing, they would say, oh, maybe you are a good person and I can respect you. You always have to go, well, I can't say what I'm working on. That's, isn't that weird? 
Well, that's the nature of the business, all ideas. It's all ideas, and if somebody says, I'm working on this, and uh, this is what's happening, the fear is obviously that someone will swoop in, take that idea, pump it out there in an amazing amount of time. Yeah, better version amount of, of time. It. Yeah, and 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 it scoop them. So, are you designing something in a 3D space for this program? What program? I, what I do is uh, I'll be given I'll be given a portion of a script, uh, and uh, in terms of uh, it, it's just it's getting a conversation started in terms of uh, a sequence of events. So say you get a, 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 a giant dog uh, walking through a city and, you know. I know what show it is now. He's, he's just gone to, you, well, yeah, it's obvious. He's just, he's just you know, taking a big Littlest drink at the hobo. lake and he's, yeah, it's the, the evolution of that. And he's walking through the city. So they'll say to, they, they'll say to me, um, it, what, does that, what does that look like to you? What, you know, you've seen the script sort of plan out a series of shots. Break it down, and give it give it uh, give it a flavor. In 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 what uh, what is the tool that you're doing this in? Uh, it, it can depend. It, it depends on the amount of time that they've that they give you. If you if you have to turn something around really quick, then they're happy with storyboards. If they want something a little more uh, beefy, a little you know to to get more of a, a specific conversation going, you can do animation. So I do very rough animations for. For movement purposes, for timing purposes, uh, and sometimes uh, uh, conceptualizing uh, a very specific part of it. Tom, that's directing. It is. It is. I would call that a right post of some sort, wasn't it? That I just did there. <laughs> Point. <laughs> Avec the épée of words. Les mots. Love. Fifteen, love indeed. So you're directing. For, are you interfacing with the directors? Well, sometimes you do. Uh, in in this case, it's it's not that it's. On some of the shows that I've done this on, it's uh, generally you don't. It's crazy, uh, right? It, it is. Fan it's wonderful because it's your own creativity. Yeah, you know, you're, you're given a script, and they say direct it the way you want, and. Uh, it's amazing. And it's great. It can also be a, uh, a little unsatisfying. This is another primo IP, by the way. It is, yeah. So you're getting stuff. It, uh, is there a writing room on this program? Or is I'm it more sure like there. it's coming from single writers? Like you're getting scripted, finished scripts from single writers. Right? Or well, are you getting like writing room concepts that are like, hey, can I muscle this around? And when you're when you're working on a TV show, oftentimes it's not a singular vision. You you take something like uh, um, uh, Fargo. Fargo is written by one person. Noah Hawley. Noah Hawley, and and that is rare as far as I yeah. know. It, Louis C.K. did it for Louis. I we can, let's not use him but, right now. Yeah, yeah, we won't talk about him. Uh, um, but but in in terms of most television shows, it's a team. Yeah. Even even if a single writer Excuse does the Goldbergs, even if a single writer does write a script, it will always pass through the showrunner. Right, and the showrunner has to stamp his or her stamp on right. it. Big yeah. big showrunners like Marty Noxon or or yeah. like I, I'm friendly with Adam F. Goldberg and. And that show is called The Goldbergs, and it's his family. It's about his life right. or an extrapolation of his life. 
it's got a feel to him like it's him. Right. Yeah. So your show must have that too. There's someone running the show whose imprint he or she really is. Yes. So yeah. why I brought all this up is, how do you uh, build from that vision? Let's say, for example, the person with whom you're working is a visionary, is a very high-end showrunner, like a Noah Hawley, who's brilliant. How is it that you're able to capture that? Like, you don't even have meetings, you're not part of a tone meeting? Sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. Like, I, so you're I, saying you wouldn't capture it by fluke, you mean? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, like, uh, I did an episode of, um, of Eureka, and uh, it had uh, a, a Mars rover robot, fully autonomous, uh, suddenly uh, take on maternal instincts and try to protect the little robot. And this, this thing went the entire episode, like this whole, it was a chase. Uh, there was numerous interactions with the cast. There was a, a, a car crashing component. There was uh, laser beams and, and mechanical arms and all sorts of things. So I was approached to do storyboards for the, for the episode. And, and my direction was direct it like it was your own. I don't know why you're so aggressive. I know. Just, sorry. Uh, it's, it's basically, they said, just go to it. And so Have I, you know, th there's a certain, because I'd been on the show for a couple of seasons at that point, you get to know the flavor of the show. Exactly. But now how do you? If, let's say, for example, you were in a show that was a first season show, you were playing around in, in Star Trek and it was a, it, you were working for the first season. Do you get like a big ton of material? Do you get a, a lookbook that's create? You get all that stuff. Well, on that again, like I wasn't, I wasn't uh, involved in an understood, artist's Understood, but you were component. helping get that material to the right. right people. But I was given a tour, which was fantastic, going through the art department and seeing all right. the all the incredible art that you know the the concepts and uh and and knowing their direction for the show was was uh, also played in in components of that but you know sometimes you get sometimes you get uh the benefit of coming in to a a, a series after a, num a number of seasons right sometimes you don't in which case there's nothing you can do let me there's ask nothing you. you can do but do your own thing let me ask you a question. And let's face it, I've watched a lot of TV. He has watched a lot of TV. Okay, season four, BJ and the Bear. Oh, that was great. That, yeah, that's a good season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm not, I'm not going to ask BJ about season four, Bear. BJ and the Wow. Nailed it, didn't I? <laughs> sure did. Nailed it. That's for you, Robin, if you're still there. Um, <laughs> this idea that you're sort of guessing, it, or like, okay, let's back up. I think the essential reason why you don't want to do that, you don't want to be in that role, you want to be a writer-director, is because you want to iterate on your own material, that you want to feel that chain of custody. Sure. So let's say you're working for a brilliant showrunner. Let's look at Mad Men and say, you know, Matt Weiner. He has a very specific vision, and by all accounts, he was a kind of a tough guy to deal with, a hard man, because it has to be like this. Right. Is it because you're suffering under that? Like when you're working in, in the space where you're working, you feel too much pressed in and hemmed in and you don't like that feeling? Is that what it is that pushes you away from that? Well, there's a component of that. I mean, uh, let's, let's 
you know, the, the, the reality of it is there are, there are um, many voices sometimes that you have to adhere to, and they can be as contradictory as you can imagine. Classic. So when, when trying to do something in a, an extremely short amount of time, because TV schedules are, TV are ridiculous, um, you know, to, to, to be inundated with uh, opinions that sure, you, you know, the bottom line is you can, you can do what they ask you to do. Mm -hmm. and, and really, you know, at that point, you don't, um, you can't be, you can't be too, uh, you can't hold those ideas too can't close to precious. you. Can't be precious. Yeah, you can't be precious because those, you know, technically those ideas don't belong to you. So all you're trying to do is add to the show like, in it, like a good team member. But so, you don't like that anymore. Well, it's not that I don't like that. It's just, you know, I, I started in 97. So hmm, here we are 50 years later. Or, so, or some other number. Some other Insert number. Yeah. numerical thing. Or. But, but, you know, so I think that's run its course. I think, honestly, like, I just, I, uh, with, with the state wow. of the art in terms of visual wow. effects, where things are, what can be achieved, uh, the expectations on artists, um, uh, my, my, my lack of desire to be in that area. Do you think that you we're going into an area now i don't know if you guys know this but we're in our 50s tom and i are probably around 52 yeah are you 52 yeah i'm 50 also <laughs> tom's 52 and i'm 50 also too and there's ageism in every industry yeah and we're the age that we are in an industry where People tend to think that if you're 25 or 6, you're more tied into the audience, whatever. Do you think it's too late for us to hold on to these dreams? What, what I described to my wife last week, we're out for a little rip driving somewhere. I don't even remember what. Wow. I do remember where. She's got this sore jaw. We're going to go and see if we can get it broken. There's a guy around behind Max. Anyway. Jeez. On our way there. I realized that there's something essentially sad about us, kind of pathetic. What if you were told the scripts that you're writing will never get made? Then I'd make them myself. See? Yeah. What, what if you were writing the same script since 1994 on some version? Keep, you're going to tweak it and keep, right. you would keep right. doing it. Like yeah. there's something sick about Absolutely. Us, an Absolutely. illness. Yeah. Yeah. There's a hole in our bucket and it's never going to be full. <laughs> so that sickness, that drive, is that good? Is it bad? Should you just be happy? I'm working in this, on this IP. It's a great IP, this intellectual property. For those who don't know, it's a great show and I'm part of the team and I'm stamping out widgets for the team. Right? Is that, is that better to feel that I'm satisfied with that? Or is it better to say, I'm going to keep writing this movie I've been working on since whenever, and I'm going to perfect it, and then go to your grave, potentially pursuing that, and that's okay. And I don't say that because you need to face that. Right, right, yeah. I need to face that very, very much. I don't know why I adopted that character's voice there. <laughs> I need to face that very, very much. I, I, I think, I think um, 
uh, in, it, I think it comes down to the type of person you are. I mean, they're broken. Uh, well, I, I think for myself, the reason why I, I continue to do this and I continue to feel passionate about it and I am obsessed with it is that I feel it's part of my evolution. I think that if I were to ever, and I, and I won't, I, I know for a fact that I will never let go of this. And yeah, I, maybe it is a character flaw or maybe it is yeah, a, it's a, a defect, a, a, a problem. Yeah. But it's, in my eyes, it's a good problem because it's going to make me, it, it forces you to, to think outside of the box, to think of different ways to, 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 uh, to surmount those obstacles that, that constantly get in your way. And I mean, if it's the same obstacle every single time, then yes, that's a problem. Yeah, if it's the same brick wall you bang your head into. Yeah, you, then you're not learning anything. You're not fixing the problem. Um, yeah, I mean... But, but you talked about age, and I, I don't ever think about it as age. And of course, that's okay for me, uh, because... Well, you're I, never sore. That's not my point. My point is that that I'm not, you know, at the stage where I'm appealing to to that that uh, that audience or that body that says, you know, you you have to be in touch. Well, I I Tom, this podcast is for eleven year olds. School. Oh yeah, right. Uh, Grade fivers that want to. Uh, yeah, you guys get are the perfect the industry. Days. Never mind what I said. Yeah, go for it. Uh, you know what? It's true. Uh, you're right that age is kind of not a factor because things are happening for Mark and Isaac and I right now, and I'm 35 years older than Isaac or something, or 20. How old is Isaac? I don't know. Does anybody know? Isaac, are you on Facebook? Could you please write in your age? Oh, I do know. He was born in 1985. I know that. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Uh, trivia question, what year was Isaac Elliott Fisher born? 1985. And the winner is? Call in and you'll receive this Stephen lovely mug. Rorda, you are the winner. And you've won a prize. I, I'm, you'll have to come down and get it. Um, you know what? I like, I like starting as if we're going to talk about old university stories, but then actually facing our own mortality. <laughs> I think that's It's been a real downer. Yeah. Or is it an upper? I'm talking about your mortality? I don't know. Well, I think that every single thing that we do, isn't the book called The Denial of Death by, I can't remember his name, Becker? The Denial of Death. Everything that we're doing is spitting in the face of the end. Hmm. Right? Well, yeah. So, like, sure. why do you um, continue to make these movies? Maybe we're seeking some kind of eternal... The celluloid spins forever. The movie plays forever. And after we're gone, the movie continues to play. I like play. that. Yeah. Or the connection that we make with other people through the doing of it is in some way valuable. So the, the drive, the motivation to do this is, is important because it takes us out of the mundane or the banal. 
that obviously bothered us from the time we we're little. Like, why can't you just play hockey right, and right. be fine with that? Why do you have to take this stupid movie camera and go outside and jump off the whatever backwards? You know what I mean? Like, why do you have to do that? Right. Just be a normal kid and like the Leafs. I want you to tell me about the time you... I keep doing this. It's because my dog hand is killing me, so I have to do a lot of left-handed activity. Oh, so you're... Your left hand is compensating. It's overly the flappy. Lack of gesticulation. It's overly know. flappy. Wow. Tell me about the time you saw Star Wars. What is it that happened that was so impactful? Do you remember anything about the the um, screening? Yeah, it was the summer, and and we hadn't. I mean, it was it had been in the in the theaters for a few weeks, and people were talking about it, and and uh, at the time, I was really into sports. And uh, wait a minute, you were one of the kids I just described. Yeah. Yep, it's true. Benedict Arnold. Yeah. But good but at hockey. Everybody cool was... hair, <laughs> feathered back just right. Scott Bale actually looked at pictures of you in Teen Beat and wished he had your hairstyle. Leaf Garrett wished that he had your waist size. I was a little fat kid with a movie camera. I had no options. It was either be funny. Or be funny. Wow. One way they're laughing because you're doing something. The other way they're laughing doesn't matter what you do. How does that make you feel? Chubby. Kind of chubby. I don't think it bothered me too much. I think having a tumultuous childhood is good for people. I actually miss that. I agree. I'd high-five you, but I'd wet myself. (laughs) I miss 70s childhoods. You found out about Star Wars by, like, having to go out in the street on your bike and run into stuff. There's no other way to find out. You're not right, reading right. the Oshawa General or whatever the paper's called. Oh, uh, what's happening this week? It was more like you heard some kids go, I was at Tesla, Star Wars. You're like, Star Wars? That sounds like two cool words working together, right? That's true, yeah. So you went in yeah. cold. You had no yeah. idea. That's amazing. Yeah. The 70s. The 70s, fantastic. No, no helmets on kids on bikes. Oh, the beauty of a real head injury. The, th- the threat of, 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 mortal, of mortal injury, yeah. Yeah, like guys in vans driving around that actually <laughs> might be guys in vans driving around. Like the kind who actually called you over with candy. That's true. You yeah. had to learn how to decipher that guy's intent is not good for me and my continued childhood. Do not want to be ushered into a... It was, yeah, it was an atmosphere of actual fear. Simmering Like fear, fear that had reality to it. Oh, so good. That's a, this is a topic for another We'll save it for our other podcast, which is called Two Old Guys Who Wish Rockford Files Was Still in Play. (laughs) So you went and saw Star Wars in a theater. In a theater, yeah. Where did you sit? Like, did you, what, what is the most pungent memory from that? And I say pungent on purpose because people could smoke in That's theaters. True. That's true. Uh, I don't know. I, it, I it, it, was, it was everything sort of, everything, like, uh, you know, the, the world didn't, didn't sort of fade it away as soon as, as soon as the, you know, that okay. first image with the Star Destroyer going over top and stars and lasers and the sound just going crazy. Everything it was it was like that moment when uh, when you hit a hammer or you hit a piece of steel with a hammer and it magnetizes. 
Suddenly it's... I have no idea what you just said. You hit a piece of steel with a hammer and it magnetizes. Steel rod, yeah. It's, it's somehow it, it changes the molecular structure. No, it's not. I don't think. What is this? Somebody told me. Chicanery of which you speak. Uh, I started in a drive-in in wow. this town. Right. And you know what my dad and Jerry Cox said? What is this goddamn stuff? <laughs> they didn't like the robots. They didn't like the little creatures. They didn't like any of it. So Terry Cox and I sat on the front of the car in the rain and watched Star Wars in the rain. Where was the, where was the speaker? Was it attached to your window? Yeah, they didn't want to hear it. We had the speaker like oh, hanging, okay. sitting well, beside us, and we watched Star Wars. So they Star didn't Wars. like it so much that they kicked you out of the car. They didn't kick <laughs> us out of the car. We elected to remove ourselves from their poo-pooing. Oh, I see. My dad wow. was not a fan of flights of fancy. Right, right. And by the way, did the score land with you back oh, then? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, here, here's, a, here's a little quick story about the score. A quick suitor. About um, the radio station, one of the radio stations in, in the Toronto area was Chum. <laughs> the other one was CFTR. CFTR. And, uh, and listening to that station, as we did, because there was only two real stations that you'd listen to, uh, they were offering, they had a contest where if you phoned in, you could win the soundtrack of Star Wars. And because I was so enamored at that time, I you know, soaking everything up I could possibly find. Did you win it? I won it. I phoned in and I won I it. Even, I can't even comment. I did. I can't well, even here was comment. The, here was the thing. Freaking I thought right soundtrack meant all the dialogue, all, the, all oh. the special effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I thought that's like I was just going to get to hear it. And I could hear it. And, 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 and that would... That would that would you know You'd satiate at least movie. that yeah I'd get fifty percent of the movie, yeah. because you know you couldn't see it otherwise. So it so we you know the, the family we did a family trip into Toronto we we grabbed the thing and came you know shook hands and stuff and, and brought it home. Who was and the DJ? I have no idea. Again, it didn't matter. It, it, it did didn't not matter. matter. It still it was doesn't. Like, yeah, I was like, uh, I just some some I my fleshy conveyance <laughs> to give you Star Wars. <laughs> That's right. It was irrelevant. Well, well, this is as bad. This is how bad it was for me when Star Wars. You know, the the, the soundtrack was fantastic, but yeah. when I discovered it was just the music, it was like I was. At first, I was disappointed, but then, as you're listening to it, it's and like, oh my god, yeah, this is this is phenomenal. This is something new. This is. Yeah, and and yeah. I, so, I, of course, I, I, I listen to it all the time. Did you listen to the Miko disco version? Of course, of course. Wasn't that thrilling? It was, because mm. it had sound effects to it. It did. Now, this, is, this is how bad it was for me. I was so obsessed with Star Wars that I snuck in a tape recorder to it. Of to course you did. The theater. Yeah. Of course you did. Yeah. Can you do any of the dialogue for us I right could, now? Oh, well, I could, but come on. What if I said to you, what would you say to me? <laughs> I see now that's that's the difference is I know that dialogue and I don't know I don't know Han Solo. I think he says something like I'm gonna shoot you under the table or something. <laughs> I think it's something like that. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, Words to that effect. Star Wars was powerful. Hugely powerful. Hugely. It was a game obviously a game changer how for come, me. How come Apocalypse Now was more powerful for me and, and I don't think it was powerful for you? To be honest, I hadn't seen it. Like all through film school, I'd never seen it. I, it was it was some years after that that I that Did I. Did you go see it with me at IMAX with Peter that time? Um, 
So we had a friend. We still have a friend, and we don't see him very often, Peter Marshall. Many blessings to you, Peter and Brandon. Um, Peter and I went and saw it IMAX, and he said, I always cry when the helicopter's in flight of the Valkyries. Mm. And for me... I don't think I saw it. Oh, that you. screening. Yeah. Man. And Tom, I met and sat and talked with John Milius. <laughs> well, that's right, too. You did that recently, right? Uh, yeah, a couple of years wow. ago. 2015. I sat with John Milius in his house, and I talked to him, and I read him from his favorite script that he wrote, which is unproduced, Genghis Khan. Right. Can you imagine, if nothing else happens in this business, although something will, won't it, Mark? We have some good things that we hopefully can soon announce. But anyway, we sat and talked to him and spent right. most of a day with him, or an afternoon, I guess. Amazing. John Milius. That's pretty sweet. And he talked about George Lucas. Sorry. And he talked about what he thought about George Lucas. Now, he couldn't talk very well because he is the upscale right, affliction. Right, right. But it's just amazing to be there and see the pictures of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Sure. And, and we went through his, his photo albums and stuff. And it was just a, like it was an amazing thing. So right. for me, there was a lot of power in Taxi Driver and right, right. Apocalypse Now and, and, you know, cowboy movies. Like I really loved Outlaw Josie Wales. We talked about that. And Star Wars was one of them, but for me, there was, it was part of this whole thing. But for you, it seemed like it was more powerful. You wanted to get something from that movie and incorporate it. I think it's, I think it's exactly what you were talking about with uh, growing up in the 70s. You know, the, not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying I didn't have a happy childhood. I'm saying it was... You can say it here. It was, it's a safe space. <laughs> it's a sanctuary city. <laughs> uh, it, was, it, was, um, it was kind of... It was almost not subversive almost a rebellion against it, against, uh, because... Star Wars was rebellious? It was, yeah. It was that huge. So, surprises like, me. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was a lot of what, what, I, what struck me and, and, and actually fortified me. You know, I had I have family members who made fun of the fact that I loved it. Well, they hate those robots. They're exactly, so stupid. Yeah. Those little Jawas. What the hell is that? <laughs> But but that that actually made my 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 you, fandom of it even you doubled so. down. Not only what you know, obviously that that I was a fan, but that I wanted to actually do that kind of stuff was even even you know worse in their eyes, but stronger in my eyes. Did eye. you say, Dad, I'm gonna make Star Wars, and then you'll be sorry, and then you'll be really sorry? And your dad said, Those are obviously masks in the cantina. Those aren't real aliens, Tom. Yeah, like, word for word, that's what he said. Yeah. Do you know who else we met? That same, was it a year later? Richard Edlund. We shot with Richard Edlund. Wow. And, and you know what's funny? He's an old guy that right now, if anyone's listening, they're like, well, who's Richard Edlund? Yeah, exactly. We know who he is. Yeah. And we were talking to him in his studio and he was showing us all the stuff. And again, I'm not saying this from a bragging perspective. I'm saying... You get a chance to meet those people that were so formative when you're this age, it still is resonant. Right. right. And what, what you were appreciating the craft in Star Wars as a kid. John Williams' beautiful score, you know, the effects that they created from nothing out of right, scratch. Right. And you were able to see something behind it that you were able to find and grab and then build yourself. And to me, that that is why we do it now. Like that is right. the circuit. Yeah. Like you're sure. still trying to get into that space. When you saw Alien and, you know, at the drive-in or whatever and the chest burster and you knew how it happened, but you, you had that, 
you're outside yourself and in yourself at the same time. I'm watching the movie and I'm scared, but I'm watching myself right. watch the movie and I'm watching the people make the movie. And there's this really global perspective that kids like us had that maybe other kids didn't have. The well, it's, reason, a, it's a visceral reaction, right? And it's, it's and it's it's an it's, intellectual at the same time. Absolutely, I think I think everybody you know fantasizes. Uh, fantasizes about being that oh sorry fantasizes about being the magician and having that arcane knowledge and and being Mm. able to fool someone and amaze someone and this this to me is is very much like that except your magic trick isn't necessarily pulling rabbits out of a hat it's pulling emotions out of out of out of nothing Really, out of yeah. staging the specific things in specific ways, in you know, camera movement and sound design and music, and all these things coming together to create such a such a, 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 a almost near tactile reaction from yeah. from someone. Well, that, visceral, visceral again. Absolutely. Yeah. That that to me is like it's the ultimate trick. You know, it, it goes beyond amazement and goes to to uh, that space in your heart. The first auteur filmmaker was a magician, Georges Méliès. Georges right? Méliès. So you feel that sense of magic. I think I'm different than you. I don't think I have it quite the right, same way. Right. Um, well, yeah, my, 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 you know, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, you know, the... the that kid's got a future. Yeah, he's... Yeah, Spielberg's he might, got he, a future. He might actually do a good film. Yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's going to... But, oh, but I heard that. I heard that slight. <laughs> I wasn't. I'm kidding. I'm when absolutely he's going to put a good movie together for Tom. <laughs> but that was that was my that was those were my mentors. Those yeah. that's that's like, that was a side of film. You know, I, I I remember you guys having very deep discussions about about that in in film school. But which uh, about about you know the the. the about uh, Apocalypse Now and about... I, uh, I had a of, very... You said I was wearing military uh, yeah, garb. Yeah. I was deeply, I was deeply affected by those movies. Like, and, I, very, and I was kind of sitting on the sidelines going, yeah, but what about Indiana Jones? What about... He's very nice too. He's a very good guy and he appears in Apocalypse Now as a character named George Lucas early on when the mission is given to Willard. Yeah. Uh, there is a... I think you know what probably at its root you might be more nerdy than me deeply oh, so. Oh, I think so. I think so yeah, too. Yeah. Because you still watch movies and I struggle with that with my problem attention span. Right. I I might not even be a filmmaker. I might learn that I'm not. This might be what this is about. You know what? You know what? I I I I I I understand what you're saying, but I think, you know, that's that's the that's one of the beauties of of filmmaking is that it it's not just one type of filmmaker that makes it. It's all sorts of different types of wow. people. There are as many filmmakers as there are genres. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, you find an audience. You find somehow. Do, I? do yeah, I? Sure, you do. Do I? I've seen you do it before. Let me find an audience, guys, girls, ladies. If there was one filmmaker whose work I already know what you're gonna say. Whose work you would say this is the career that I would want. This is the this is the the movie life that I want. Mm. Who would it be? Watch me think about it. Can you write it down? Can you? We'll we'll do like uh, um, the newlywed game. All right, the newlywed so, game. Jeez, <laughs> um, that's the night after. <clears throat> Okay. So you write you write down your response. I'll be in I'll be in the sound booth. 
Uh, okay, here we booth. go. This is really exciting for people out yeah. there. By the way, it, have we been doing this for two hours? Like, is this God, bad? I don't know. Holy okay, we're going to end it very soon. This, we're ending with this game. We're going to do it. We're going to do this game with each other. Okay. We haven't, we haven't really done the school part of this, unless. Okay. Yeah, we're teaching people how not to be like <laughs> us. Can you? Can you? No, we can't. There, they saw it. No, they didn't. There, see? There. Okay, go. I would say somebody like Edgar Wright. Sam Raimi. Huh. Because he was the first Edgar he would, he Wright. Would, he would be my second choice. He's yeah. the first Edgar Wright, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Well, well, Or one of the first Edgar Wrights. Yeah. That's not a bad answer. That, that would so be... So I get partial points? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, if this were the newlywed game, you'd still give me a hug and a kiss. I don't, I don't touch people. I don't do that. What filmmaker do you think would have the career that I would most want? Do I even you. know the answer to this? It's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting question because I, I know that right now you're involved in, in doing documentaries, but I remember... I remember how much energy and fun you had on the projects that you did in school. So, and I, I, I'm, I, Before I'm I honestly, I'm not, I'm not around enough to, to, uh, to know how you're reacting to what you're doing in documentaries. I, but I just remember the, the, the guy that I saw creating Jack's day happy or, boy. or the donut guy two powerful, fantastic, powerful fantastic pieces movies. of cinematic yeah. something. <laughs> but, but those were joyful to me. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think, I, I, like, like you said, I don't think you've discovered that path yet. So there's no filmmaker. I have one. Who? Judd Apatow. Judd yeah, Apatow, no, you're right, you're I right, feel sure. this feeling that Judd Apatow has a parallel, like, I, have a, I actually shouldn't even say this in, out loud. I, you, you know that I can't watch the Oscars or the Emmys, or I can't watch any awards programs like that. I get no, I derive, it actually no, bothers no, me. Yeah. So the reason why it bothers me is probably some kind of selfish, like, but I don't think that's not what I feel. I just don't feel engaged. I feel right, completely right. disengaged. Like I don't care who wins the Oscar. It's irrelevant. It doesn't. It, it has no. It has no bearing on the quality of the you film. You and I made up some awards for this show. <laughs> right. Tom, who wins the award for doing the best job of this show? Oh, I can't. I'm having trouble it. with the envelope. I'm biting my right hand. The, which one? Randall Law. He knew it. No, I mean, uh, no, sorry. Moonlight? Damn, bro. Uh, yeah, the Academy's fake. Newsflash. It's, uh, it was set up as a PR stunt because the Legion of Decency or something was trying to shut down the movies. The anyway. Legion of, I'd like to be part of that Legion. Yeah, that's, they're never going to cool. beat the Justice League, although they might in box office. So imagine their outfits, though. Judd Apatow's life oh. is like a tesseract loop of the life that I, I was obsessed with comedy as a kid. I 
bought all the comedy records. I memorized them all. I stole everything from them. You know what I mean? Like, right. if right. I had been able to live where he lived, he lived in Long Island, I believe, yeah. and he could go to New York. His mother worked at it. That would have been my dream. Like, I knew everything about George Carlin and Cheech and Chong, and, you know, it's, it's like, I, I, it's Richard Pryor. Right. He's, he's, and I was going to say Bill Cosby, but I had just, I couldn't say it because Isn't he's, that funny how he's we can't ruined. Say you actually saw me, talk about but I used to, uh, I was obsessed with that, and I would have gone in that field, and you're right, and I was obsessed with comedy and Monty Python and everything, but I just went in a different direction because I think I had taste and all of that was kind of beaten out of me, and I was too cowardly. Do you remember when we did that thing with the, new, the, the I was going to say the new kids on the block, kids <laughs> in the hall? Do you remember that kids in the hall thing, the weekend that they did that marathon, telethon? I, I remember that happening. I, I wasn't. We involved. went and worked. At, okay, well, I was. I went and worked at it no. as a as a volunteer. Right. And I remember thinking, there's a step that I could have taken there right, right. that would have gone in a direction. And I think that was my obsession, and maybe is still in some ways my obsession. But I I kind of went away from it, and would have wanted to do stupid comedy and go down that road, like obsessed with all that stuff. Right. And that's maybe why, to you, I seem like not just a bad filmmaker, but a... I didn't say a, that at a, all. A, a, a wretched, <laughs> some kind of wretched hive of scum and villainy. These are not the droids We must looking. be cautious. <laughs> you'll be, you'll be good. You'll be dead. You'll be dead. You'll be dead. Listen, thank you so much for being patient. <laughs> we just reminisce a lot. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to old guys who are thinking about the time that... Something else happened. It should just say talking about film school, because that's what we did. You know, I think what they learn though, they learn never to talk to us about film not school. to do something. Yeah. You can define something <laughs> by elimination. Well, I it's know true. not to do that. <laughs> now I'm going to be better at what I would have wanted to do or what I can do by d being d being right. dis Abate. You said I was good with words. You sure were. Now I don't. Now. All gone. Yeah, it's too late. Do you Raphael? end up every episode with? Uh, yeah, we we uh, end every episode by taking a turtle <laughs> mug and smashing it, <laughs> taking those pieces, putting them back together, because that's what we do in our lives. We we break and we build. We break and we build, and then eventually one day, when we're done building, we break forever. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next time on Full Pop Film School. We may not have a special guest like Tom Tenesco, longtime good old friend Tom Tenesco. We may have another special guest, or we might have Mark Hussey back. I think it might be nice to have somebody fresh. <laughs> it wouldn't take much to get somebody fresher than you, Tom. Whew.